0: Hi, welcome everyone. My name is Aaron Smith and I'm the CEO of the Energy Environmental Building Alliance, as well as the board treasurer for Team Zero. And we're really excited to have our first case study of a remodeled zero energy ready home. We'll, we'll talk about it. And, but I want to introduce our two speakers today. We have Maureen Molly, and Maureen is the managing director of sustainable housing at Stephen Winters Associates uh, out of New England. And then Stephen Clocky. Stephen is a senior sustainability consultant also at Steven Winters Associates. And we came across Maureen and Steven's project as part of the inventory for zero energy homes. I think it's so great to pick both of your brains and hear about your journey and your stories and lessons learned.
1: Sure. Yeah. We actually got started on the project in February of 2019 was when we got possession of the house. We'd been living across the street for, um, since 2012. And I've been looking at this house and saying that's going to be my next house for the entire time that we were doing a renovation across the street, um, but it wasn't for sale. So this was just, you know, a pipe dream. And uh, it all kind of came together very, it felt very, you know, organic and it was, it was kind of great. Um, and um, it never went to market. It was in, you um, pretty severe state of disrepair.
0: Didn't you call the house the fiscal cliff?
1: (laughs) The last house we called the fiscal cliff. We don't
0: have a name for this one. As you purchased that property, how did you think of, you know, how did you set your goals for what you wanted to achieve? Because your last home was actually really energy efficient as well. Can you talk about, you know, maybe the lessons learned there and then how you approach this uh, new home purchase and and looking at remodeling it?
2: It was a little, well, you're not tempted to tear everything out, but in this case, it wasn't. And so that made the decision to, you know, do a full gut rehab a lot easier because, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot to keep. We kept the foundation, the structure, um, the stairs, the floors.
1: Some of the interior doors. Some of
2: the interior doors.
1: In the last house, it was an oil-fired boiler. When we moved in, we tore that out first thing and put in natural gas, but kept the radiators, um, and the hydronic heat, and added some radiant floors in a couple of locations. This time, we also had put in, for example, a fireplace insert and a chimney liner. And this time, we had sort of changed our thinking about um, having on-site combustion. And so going in, the main thing we knew we wanted to do was electrify.
0: I think that that's a really powerful statement that you just said, and that many people listening to this are thinking about how do I electrify, or how do I decarbonize my home? What other goals did you have for the home uh, beyond decarbonization? I think indoor you air quality, mm-hmm.
1: definitely. And we had done, you know, a fairly good job of that. I think on um, the last home, but some of the things were just non issues because we we gutted basically from the exterior in that house and went down to the sheathing and insulated and did a. Um, a cold pour of foam in the walls, without removing the interior plaster and trim and so on. Here, yeah. since we were adding so much more material, there were a lot more choices to make and things to think about in terms of trying to get better air quality. Also, in the um, in the last house, originally we thought we could get away with an exhaust-only strategy, and we ended up adding an ERV. <laughs> this house, we knew from the start. We wanted the erv we also in the last house had added um a uh, fresh air damper to operate when the kitchen hood was running makeup air. a makeup air damper um and that was a, a late add actually in order to get our lead certification um because we were just getting too negative we were going down even with not very much exhaust flow from the kitchen range hood with only 175 cfm we were getting down to minus 11 Pascals. So we added that damper. So we knew in this house right away that we wanted to address that and make sure that we were going to be able to have balanced ventilation. Although we use the range hood less simply because in the old house we had gas. So we ran it even when we were baking. Now we only use it when we're cooking on the range. We've got an induction um, cooktop and a, um, an electric range. And so we, we only are running the exhaust when we're frying or something, not when we're baking.
0: Makes sense. On other goals for your house, I know you're looking at zero energy ready home and LEED for platinum and then one of the pilot credits and lead, Can you talk about that?
1: In this house, we decided we wanted to put on as much solar as was practical, I guess. And, and one of the best suggestions we got from our solar provider was you know, we were standing around looking at the house in it's original state. And he was like, what would you think about getting rid of that dormer on the front? The front of our house faces yes. south. So it's, it was a lovely expansive roof. But I think it just looks a lot better to have it be a solid rectangle of solar. It's a very colonial looking home. We have 8.64 KW yeah. system. Um, we also... Uh, wound up putting in two Tesla Powerwall batteries. So that's 27 kW of storage. And um, we've been kind of, you know, tracking our tracking our usage since we moved in in July. So for July through the end of February, we are um, about 14% more. We've produced about 14% more than we've used. So we're net positive through I hope the worst of the winter. <laughs>
2: so oh, that's
1: a- where we end up. In the very early stages of this project, we didn't know if that was possible. We were just kind of aiming for as good as we could within our budget. You know, that was obviously a, a constraint. So
0: can you talk about just solar and battery? Because you know, I've got 14.4 on my house as well. And we talked about this before, but To me, it's kind of, we've reached the point where it's a no brainer for folks financially and and, and otherwise. And, and then maybe coupling that with battery storage. I know I lived in Connecticut for nine and a half years and we had two hurricanes come over the top and we're out of power for extended period of time. So it's definitely a, there's a resiliency factor as well in, in Connecticut, but can you kind of just say, I mean, obviously you wanted to decarbonize, but why solar and batteries make so much sense, what maybe you see as the financial opportunity for people to do that. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So I I'll, would I'll start with the batteries because the batteries are sort of, people are like, oh, you know, how much energy are your batteries saving you? And they're, they're not really um, as far as just consuming energy. If you're still consuming it. It's just that you're shifting um, the source and you're shifting the timing. Um, so to be able to harvest energy on site um, that is hopefully reducing the energy that we have to bring from offsite. When you're bringing energy from offsite, you have um, losses in distribution, um, a lot of losses. Um, and then you also are subject to the, uh, you know, how your energy is produced wherever you live. So every place has a different um, I don't know, portfolio, what's the right word for it? It's the, the yeah. mixture yeah. Of, of energy sources, whether it's wind or solar or gas or oil, or coal, right? So um, I think that was, um, the nice thing about the batteries is is that saving of the distribution losses and also the resiliency for when you know the grid goes down.
1: And we knew we would need some type of backup. We have all above ground power lines here and a lot of old trees, which as we all know is a recipe for a lot of outages. But I would say the, the, the batteries were the part that's a little bit more challenging from the financial perspective, so we did look at that as an investment. But if you compare it to a generator that we would have wanted, if we if we'd gotten a truly you know integrated switch ready um, backup solution, that would have been an investment as well.
0: In my view, we're we're getting close to parity between a whole home generator that runs off natural gas or propane and adding batteries uh, to offer resilience. Can you talk about that uh, a little bit?
1: And in our last house, we had a fireplace and we had a 1950s gas range. I was in that, I was a, a chambers range person, which is like a whole cult unto itself. That was that was the hardest thing about getting out fossil fuels. The fireplace I'm okay without. Um, but oh, I did love my chambers. <laughs> but so moving to electrification, you do consider, you know, what Is this gonna be, what is this gonna be like? But I think you're absolutely right with the change in costs, with the available incentives and taking advantage of tax credits and all the rest of it. It becomes um, not that much different than another type of solution. We also ran a little experiment um, inadvertently recently where on a night where we got down to about 17 degrees outside we did not have any of our heating on, and it was sixty four instead of sixty eight in the morning, or something like.
2: So all the the solar in, in the house. I mean, it all goes in hand in hand in the batteries with regard to resilience, right? So, you know, the house consumes less; it it needs less energy, and it also loses less energy. You know, when you don't have power, so it all kind of works together.
0: If you have solar versus having solar and batteries you're then allowed to use that power when there's a grid outage. So can you talk about, and I think people forget that, that, oh, I have solar and the grid goes down. I should be able to use solar. No, you can't. Can you just explain that to the audience?
1: You don't just buy the batteries. You buy a brain, Tesla, Mm -hmm. it's called the gateway that comes with it that is watching everything that's going on, including the weather. (laughs) So that they go into, um, you can activate something called storm watch mode which basically means that the batteries will stay at 100% um, in preparation when bad weather is expected. That control is able to um, anticipate things and react so quickly that in in our situation um, when we had a, a tropical storm this summer the moment that it went down, I only knew because I got a text notification on my phone. And on the flip side, we don't have any time of use pricing advantages that battery storage could yield in other in other markets. In fact, the ability to even do grid tied solar is fairly new. When we did our first house, that was not an option. If you put solar on your roof, you would not have been able to connect it to the grid. They just were not set up for it.
0: You know, you talked about, I think there was an important point you talked about with your heat pumps were shut off in the whole house and you got up and it was only at at 17 degrees Fahrenheit. You were still at 60 something the next morning. And to me, that speaks about the importance of building your envelope correctly, uh, air tightness. Can you talk about the approach that you guys did around everything with the envelope, air tightness, the insulation, all of that a little bit?
2: Obviously we're dealing with an existing structure. So that limits you to a certain degree. Um, The walls were only, you know, two by fours and the roof was only two by, actually two by fives, which is kind of weird, but anyway. um, And then we also needed to keep the aesthetics uh, in mind as we're deciding, you know, what we were doing, so so we basically came up with an approach um, that was cavity insulation in the exterior walls, uh, with a layer of continuous insulation on the outside. When we gutted or when we um, cleared the outside of the house uh, down to the sheathing, and that's when we put up actually uh, one inch of polyisocyanurate. Well, that's, <coughs> I'm, I'm a HERS raider, so um, you know I could run the energy model half a dozen different ways and um, look at the performance of each option that we're considering. Another goal of ours was uh, not maybe a goal, but a consideration was uh, greenhouse gas um, potential in, in materials. People are really waking up to the fact that, oh, well, concrete has a ton of embodied energy yeah. um, or like cement board siding. I mean, we really went back and forth. We wanted to do cedar uh, because the embodied energy and, and, and greenhouse gases, and, and, but we just couldn't justify it with regard to maintenance and durability and cost and aesthetics, to be honest.
1: And some of it, too, I, I found with a single family custom project, you don't necessarily have access to some of the same choices that I'm actually used to on working as a consultant on bigger projects. Exactly. And so that was, um, you know, we had explored, for example, triple pane windows, and we could hardly get any of the passive house Window installers they were so overwhelmed with orders that dealing with a, a custom single family home just wasn't in the cards for some of them steve mentioned what our, what our contractor was comfortable with we knew who we wanted to use for the all of the exterior stuff the same guy we used in our last project he does great work and fits within our our budget and there's some materials that he just isn't going to want right. to work with and so that becomes a consideration. I, I was sort of interested in a different siding product that's used a lot in the Midwest, but it's just not used out here that has more wood fiber in it. And therefore I thought, you know, some less carbon. Less, less carbon. Um, but I called around to a bunch of lumber yards. None of them carried it. They said, well, we can get it. And you try to find, uh, convince my contractor who's squeezing us in basically as a favor to experiment with a whole new product. And it was like, no. Not gonna happen. But one thing we tried that was new here that we looked at as a way to maybe lower our carbon a little bit was um, we wanted to get it tighter this time around than we did yeah. at, the, at the last house. And
0: right. last house you said you were at what, for ACH?
1: Two and a half. I think it was two about two and a half two and a half. From 2.6 ACH yeah. 50.
0: So better than code considerably, but.
1: Good, not great. Yeah, good not how great. I would how I would describe it.
0: You know, you do, your mineral wool insulation, you've got continuous insulation on the outside, you've got a weather-resistive barrier on top of that, you've got your great siding, you put double-pane windows in, I think, right? We did. The double-pane. Now, to get it really airtight, what do you do?
1: And then we um, decided to try aero barrier, which yeah. was something we've seen, we've done on multi-family projects, yeah. but this was sort of a new thing in single family and you they often won't do single family but it's a um, a fan propelled waterborne glue essentially that by pressurizing an apartment or a home um, gets forced into the sort of small very tiny cracks and things and it Dries they use blower doors to to blow this stuff. There's no propellant and so basically seals holes as it's the air sort of moving through the the small cracks at that point. So the windows are in the um, exterior is done, but we're just got it on the inside
0: before and after on the aero barrier.
1: We did so that at that point we were about five air changes per hour at 50 pascals and so um and that was the point at which we were like, oh, we wished it was tighter. We had fully lined the basement with taped poly. We had spray foamed the crawl space, mm-hmm. but we were still, you know, it just it just happens in some yeah. of those spaces. So um, they uh, they they normally won't do this approach in in single family homes because you have to be able to get it it has to be tight enough to begin with that you actually can pressurize, right? In order to spray this, they set up these misting nozzles and it basically sprays this um, this water-based glue essentially um, into the air. And so the fact that we knew we were already at 5 ACH 50 was that why they did it because they knew that they would be able to go on from there. So for us, this was kind of an alternative to like maybe spray foam then. At- as our other option, which is what everybody wanted to sell us. That was highly available mm-hmm. in our market and 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 was a product that we used on our roofs and in our crawl space because it was the best material for the job given that we had some space limitations and, and other things. Um, so, you know, this was uh, the arrow barrier got it down to about 1.6, okay. yeah. I think.
2: When I did my blower door, it ended up being 1.75 <clears throat> or something like that. Okay. My job is to be um, as a verge rater, green raider, consultant, et cetera, is to be another set of eyes basically for both the design team and the construction team. You can have a consultant drop in at any point and, and bounce ideas off of them um, if you wanted to, but yeah, we recommend having someone from the design stage through final testing yeah. to actually ensure that what you aimed for in the beginning was actually achieved.
0: I'm not an energy rater, but I would tell you that we, we hear very reasonable prices to bring an expert alongside you. And we would encourage anybody remodeling or building new is bring on a, a certified energy
1: raider. Design and construction is a stressful process. You oh, have sure. to make a lot of modifications along the way just based on how things are available, how much things cost, things you weren't expecting. Not to mention just all the stuff that you find in a renovation, you know, mm-hmm. that like Surprise. after you yeah demo something we're like oh you know we we found that we were four inches short on height on the back porch because the joists which we assumed measuring them underneath sat on top of the foundation were actually notched and so suddenly you're like oh <laughs> that's a surprise
0: so now you know you have a reduced you've done the energy modeling you have a reduced load How, walk people through that because i think that's a place where a lot of people get caught up is on the hvac iaq section having it applied to decarbonization and a a really energy efficient home. Can you talk us through that process?
1: So it was was funny. We knew we wanted to do heat pumps, but we actually didn't know what kind we wanted to do. I was adamant that I thought we should get rid of ducts. And maybe some of that perspective came from living without ducts in our last house, having hydronic heat and we didn't have cooling. We basically listed the options about duckless heads, ducted, etc. And then we put in kind of whether things were high, medium, low, like a, a ranking one, two, or three for things like comfort, how green we thought it would be, whether we thought one was more efficient than another, um, how it would look, whether we thought it was something other people would like when we came to resell this house, right? So we kind of Put everything on the table cost certainly was on on there as well, availability. It became very clear what the answer was. And for us, it was a ducted system, which, like I said, was absolutely not where my head was. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, we looped in our colleague, um, Rob Aldrich, who's a mechanical engineer and uh, had him help us with the design. And one of the interesting things about electrification is that you're looking at the whole package, which is heating, cooling, ventilation and hot water and Mm -hmm. hot water is sort of a sticky thing a little bit and for us um when rob was doing his his load calcs he became pretty solidly convinced that you know putting a regular heat pump water heater in the basement was going to make the house too cold and put us into different sizing categories and so we ran through the exercise of well then do we add another heat pump in the basement to make it warmer for the water heater you know the heat pump water heater and you kind of go round and round or do we just do an electric resistance tank and put some extra insulation on it you know get the like we went back and forth and um ultimately this was you know one of the places where we decided to kind of go over budget <laughs> and we put in a um Uh, Sand and Sanco heat pump water heater, which is one of the ones that has the external condenser outside. So it's just the tank inside. And also the refrigerant in it is carbon dioxide. I'll also say that we had no problems with the installation, but most definitely our electrician had never worked on one. Our plumber had never worked on one our um, HVAC installer who did the the condenser had never worked on one.
0: I love what you said about, you know, you had a mechanical engineer, I assume to help you with the energy loads and the manual J. And when you're going to a decarbonized house, can you just talk about the importance of that step for a homeowner? I would argue it's pretty darn important
2: in any
1: house. I'd rather be undersized than oversized. And I know that that sounds kind of funny, but you get so many efficiency benefits and so many dehumidification benefits, which were two of my biggest concerns. I mean, we're saying these days, as we start to get our loads down, you don't need a heating and cooling system. You need dehumidification and humidification with like a little bit of supplemental heating and cooling, right? And, so we're, and, we're shifting our perspective on that. And so I had people telling me like, oh, I think this west facing, you know, porch where you have a lot of glazing is going to get overheated. And I was like, well, what are you using as your um, summertime design temperature because (laughs) I don't need it to be 68 degrees out there. I think it can be 82 in my west-facing porch. And I know this because I've been living in a house with a south-facing sun porch
0: with no cooling in
1: it. it, And it was fine. There
2: are no cold spots. There are no drafty spots. Um, Even in front of the windows on a cold night, you know, you don't feel um, discomfort. And so again, the efficiency. Um, and the comfort go hand in hand?
1: So again, existing home, didn't have a lot of great opportunities and it's a pretty open floor plan here as well on the, the main level, so, um, and no closets. <laughs> so um, we had limited opportunities to run ductwork. work. So we decided to do separate systems for the upstairs and the downstairs. So we have a, a one-ton, mid-static Fujitsu for mm-hmm. each of those. So we've got one located in the attic that's serving the upstairs bedrooms and bathroom. And then we've got one located in the basement that's serving the, the ground floor.
0: What type of ERV did you use?
2: The Panasonic. Panasonic really only has one whole house ERV, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 100 CFM maximum, I think. Nice. Um, this is one thing we learned, which was we think is a mistake now that we're figuring it out. Now that we're always home, Maureen's office is here on the main level, my office is on the lower level. We don't have any automatic mechanical ventilation on these levels, it's just local exhaust. Um, And so we're going to most likely add in a dedicated fresh air uh, fan that'll not precondition, unfortunately, but pre-filter air to make up for um, our dryer, our range hood, and the bathroom exhaust fan, and then also just to provide fresh air um, yeah. for, these, for these levels. <laughs> that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that was something that, you know, we, again, we undershot a little bit um, after we had added the ERV to the last house, it seemed to work great. But again, we were not home all the time. And right. so we hadn't exactly quite factored that, quite factored that in. So um, yeah, we're gonna end up doing a little bit more ventilation, which of course, Will be a a small amount of additional additional energy. Yeah. Um, so we're still in the process of you know, fine-tuning. We've been in here seven months, eight months, but uh yeah, we're (laughs) still still gotta keep commissioning, you know, goes on for at least a full year, so they tell me. Yeah.
0: I want to talk about kind of what I would put in fun products around the decarbonized home now, which would be we didn't talk about your washer dryer. You know,
2: I looked at the energy model and saw I suggested, Maureen, oh, well, we can shave off experts index points by going with a uh, heat pump condensing dryer. But it was, we didn't even have to do the spreadsheet for this, for this one. Uh, we weren't willing to deal with the implications of a heat pump clothes dryer, which is essentially that they, they take longer. Um, some might argue that they don't get the clothes quite as dry. And, you know, we're doing laundry a lot, especially with the toddler.
0: Maureen, I love what you said, because all of us have that love for our gas range and we wanted the gas range, but now we want to decarbonize. We want to do what's right for the planet and and our family's health. But can you talk about your journey to go from gas to induction? And then maybe give us a little insight on your induction cooktop and what you've come to learn.
1: Sure. So I was um, cooking on a friend's chambers at their vacation home for a number of years and that's how I kind of got interested in them. So I absolutely loved my chambers. Then I started reading, I think that um, Berkeley National Lab started publishing some of their research about the health impacts of cooking with gas around about 2013, so that would be a year after we moved into our house and put in (laughs) the chambers. So I started using my exhaust fan more, but then I actually um, brought home an indoor air quality monitor from, and this was around the time that we were um, looking into adoption. And so, you know, thinking about air quality for having a baby in the house and all of that, um, and I brought home a, an indoor air quality monitor and set it up in the kitchen and it would lose its mind whenever I was cooking, even with the range hood on, I got freaked out about gas basically. And that helps you be much more open-minded to alternatives. Um, and I've got to say, uh, I mean, cooking on induction is, it is fabulous. <laughs> like I, have, I have nothing bad to say. There's, there's like a learning curve as with anything, right? Like figuring out where on the dial, not having the visual because I was yeah, very much used fun. to looking at the plane, right? To yeah, see sure. where, I, where I wanted it, right? Yeah. Um, so now having to, I, I became much more into like, you know, setting the timer. <laughs> I kind of like cooking by numbers a little bit more.
0: Just to throw a plug in, but we've done an induction cooked up uh, cooking series with a professional chef. If you want to learn more, tune in and, and view that. You mentioned some of the lessons learned, some of the things you might do differently next time. You know, knowing the two of you, you'll probably do another house uh, Someday, I don't know. Maybe you're done now, but yeah, sure. cool.
1: we always say, "Absolutely not, never again." Yeah, you'll you'll I do give it. it. A few years, yeah, maybe.
0: I'm the same way. I'm working on my house now, and I always said I'd never do it again. But um, give us some of those lessons learned, or maybe if if there are folks out there that want to remodel,
1: we were very budget conscious, and our goal was to stay within basically what we thought the value of the home was at any given point and i think I'll, I'll give an example of um in the master bathroom uh there was a shower pan that was beautiful and had a really a taller lip on it and it was like 600 more than the one that i wound up getting and now when i get water on my wood floor because i didn't want to put in tile because i was trying to keep my carbon down okay. um i think Man, that would have been $600 well spent <laughs> to not be like paranoid and mopping up the floor every, every moment.
0: You talked about that air quality sensor that you bought. Um, can you recommend something to homeowners that are out there?
1: You know, I wish I could, but unfortunately I can't. That one was a foo I mean, you have to take them with a, a, a grain of salt, right? Because sometimes they're using um, proxies for example, they're not, might not measure everything specifically. They're using something else to stand in as a proxy for that other thing. And it might not always work out. The ones that we can afford, they're not um, maybe the most sensitive, but even for a short time, I mean, it, it changed my behavior, right? So um, having it in my kitchen for a short time and seeing that immediate change and seeing how long it stayed red for after I'd finished cooking, I mean, was, was very effective. So um, I think it's a great great strategy to use you know kind of understanding that they might not be perfect
2: as far as the electrification goes when i called the gas company to come and take the meter and all that stuff they looked at me like i'm sorry what you you don't want this anymore and i'm like yeah this line that goes from there to there i don't need that either and just kill it at the street something that i am glad that we did intentionally was to um to go all electric. Yeah, engaging
0: someone or people who know what they're talking about. If you go to the directory of professionals with EBA and Team Zero, you're gonna find Stephen Winter's associates. You're gonna find some of the HVAC contractors, some of the builders, some of the subcontractors that are doing zero energy, zero carbon, zero health impact homes.
2: Well, a lot of this stuff, I mean, is hard to redo. You know, we're yeah. not getting into these walls again, hopefully ever. You know, yeah, we're we- not re We're not hopefully replacing these windows for a long time. Hopefully we're not replacing anything in this house for a long time. So if you're going to do it, do it right.
0: That's right. And I'd even apply, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about repair and retrofit, because I think Steve, you said it, my heating system goes down or my air conditioner goes down, the impulse is to just replace it with another cheap one. But at those inflection points, if if we as homeowners can be thinking about decarbonization, but do the analysis and maybe move to something that's less carbon heavy, carbon intensive, we're all going to change things and help drive market transformation.
2: Yeah, not everybody can gut a house from top to bottom. So when you're given the opportunity to make, make a good, good decision, thing. make a good one, yeah.
0: yeah. Great. Well, Maureen and Steve, I want to thank you so much for inviting us all into your home today. It's been our pleasure, and we were so excited to be able to learn from uh, both of you and your experience, and you have a beautiful home.
2: Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank you.